Shalom and welcome to Israel Policy Pod. I'm Eli Koaz. And I'm Evan Gottesman. Evan, how are you holding up? I'm doing okay. I haven't left my house since Thursday. I think that's the longest stretch I've done completely inside, but the weather hasn't been so great, so hang in there. How about you, Eli? I'm doing pretty good considering, and how do you think Benny Gantz is holding up? Well, Benny Gantz probably has a couple things on his mind in the past couple of days. Of course, there's coronavirus, which he and everyone else on Earth is thinking about, but there are also political developments, a dramatic reversal, if you will, that happened in the span of the past week. Benny Gantz's Kahol Lavan party is no more, as the old Neil Sadaka song goes, breaking up is hard to do, but Kahol Lavan did it. And now there is not just one Kahol Lavan party, but you have Kahol Lavan headed by Benny Gantz, which is about half of the former party, and then you have Yeshatid Telem, which is the faction headed by Yair Lapid and Moshe Yaalon. One side, the faction headed by Lapid and Yaalon, is staying in the opposition, but Gantz is going into unity government talks with Prime Minister Netanyahu. This was his chief rival throughout the entire last year and a half of political campaigns. What was it all for, Eli? That's the question everybody's asking. And I think it's been a very long 14 months for Benny Gantz. I don't think that when he entered politics, he imagined three elections and such a tough road to eventual stability in terms of being part of a a government, be it as prime minister or as something else. And I think it was clear here that Gantz was making a calculation. First of all, I think he was tired of, he was just tired. And I think a lot of people thought that Gantz wouldn't last this long and he would eventually cave in to Netanyahu even after the first election or the second election. And people were saying that Koholavan wouldn't last. I think Koholavan also lasted longer than a lot of people expected. But I think Gantz is making a consideration here that is obviously uh, controversial. There's a lot of opposition, um, especially in the Israeli center-left. But there are a lot of other Israelis who, who see his decision as something that was the right thing to do, especially at this time of crisis. Obviously, the others say he's just part of another Netanyahu government. And it's important to note that even though Gantz has stated uh, his intention to go to a unity government with Netanyahu, which is why the breakup occurred, no agreement has been reached as of the recording of this podcast. And that's also something that uh, we'll need to follow closely because taking into account, you talked about how the party split up, blue and white, which this is a, actually another issue, the actual name blue and white, there was controversy over who would keep the name. Benny Gantz won that battle. And so Benny Gantz has 15 Knesset members and he's negotiating to join a government which is going to be, looks like it's going to be based on 58 MKs uh, from the right-wing bloc. Now, for our listeners who've been following all the election cycles, we we mentioned this Netanyahu bloc time and time again, and Kaholavan's problem with this bloc was that it wouldn't really be a unity government if you have Netanyahu supported by the ultra-Orthodox and right-wing parties, and then you just have Kaholavan on its own. And now we're looking at a scenario where 
blue and white with only 15 seats would be joining this block of 58. So their power in the government and their influence will be limited. And we'll talk more about that in a bit, especially because two or three other Knesset members who could potentially turn the tide without blue and white. But it's important to remember that Gantz was also promised by Netanyahu a whole bunch of uh, things, including, above all, a rotation agreement for him to become prime minister in 18 months. But something else that's important is that the amount of ministerial posts is supposed to be split between the Likud and Kaholavan, which is pretty crazy considering that blue and white will be entering with 15 seats, whereas the Likud have 36. So pretty much every blue and white MK will be a minister of some sort, which is something that seems kind of far-fetched. And that is every Kacholavan MK will be a minister if Netanyahu follows through on the informal understandings that he has with Gantz. As you stressed, there is no hard agreement between Gantz and Netanyahu yet. All you have are informal understandings. And of course, Gantz was himself voted in as Knesset speaker, but this is widely viewed as an interim step toward him being brought on as a cabinet minister, likely minister of foreign affairs. But there isn't an agreement yet. There isn't a coalition yet. And one of the key things there is this idea that a unity government would include a rotation, that Netanyahu would serve as prime minister for the next 18 months, presumably that covers the duration of the coronavirus crisis, or at least the most severe portion of it. And then after that, Benny Gantz would take over as prime minister. But one of the things that people have been talking about is this idea of whether or not Benny Gantz is being played as a fool. There have been many, many centrist parties in Israel's political history that have come and gone and breakups on the center left as parties try to work with Netanyahu. And there's maybe some kind of an agreement. You have governments, for example, like the government uh, from 2012 to 2015 uh, that include some center-left parties and they don't last. Um, you have things like the collapse of Kadima under Shaul Mofaz. I think that the circumstances here are a little different because of the coronavirus outbreak. I don't think that you can ignore that. I'm not saying that Gantz necessarily made the right choice or that he made the wrong choice, but this can't be viewed in a vacuum. There's definitely some legitimate questions to be raised about the wisdom of Gantz's decision, especially given, as you said, Eli, and as we related earlier, he didn't have the support of his full party, and now he's in a much weaker position, whatever happens, than he would have been if he came in with the support of his party or if he didn't put anything on the table right away. Um, because now, if it has to go to another election, Gantz, among his former party mates in Yeshatid and Telem is completely discredited. He's fielding a smaller faction, and the center-left is completely divided because it's not just the breakup of Kaholavan that we saw, but there's also the Labour-Gesher Merits Alliance. Now, on one of our previous episodes, we discussed how Gesher's sole representative in that bloc, Orly Levi Abakasis, the head of the Gesher party, had already stated her intention to be an independent representative, to just be representing Gesher and not be part of the Labour Emirates bloc. But now Labour is saying that they intend to join an emergency unity government 
as well. So there's probably a lot of distrust on the left among people who see Netanyahu as a more immediate danger and among those who have an intention to join a unity government. And then you also have the and then you also have the issue of the joint list and the way that Netanyahu had been speaking about uh, Israeli Arabs and, and some would say inciting against them. And that also uh, is going to complicate things. For sure. And you mentioned labor wanting to join this new unity government. So that's also another breakup, because if that is to go forward, it will be that Itzik Shmuley and labor leader Amir Peretz would leave or would move into the government, whereas Merav Mikhaeli uh, presumably would not join the government. And both, uh, it's been reported that both Peretz and Shmuley would become ministers in the next Netanyahu government as well. And remember that Gantz has the, the mandate at this moment to form the government. He was tasked with that just over two weeks ago, and he has 13 days left. So he came to this decision pretty early. I think it was because all that stuff with Mayor Cohen being voted in as Knesset speaker would have made it a lot harder for Gantz to do this uh, move. That's why Gantz nominated himself. But that that's kind of surprising. So I think the fear for Gantz now must be that Netanyahu takes his time coming to an agreement, and obviously this won't be an easy negotiation. And then after 13 days... Gantz won't have that mandate anymore, and it will go to Netanyahu, and then Netanyahu maybe can reassess the situation. We've talked a lot about these two MKs that were part of Moshe Yalon's talent party, Tzvika Hauser and Yoaz Hendel. They've broken off and made their own party. Derek Eretz is the name. They're expected to join the Netanyahu government, which puts Netanyahu at 60 seats without blue and white. And... Uh, then we have Orly Levy, who you mentioned, and that could give Netanyahu 61. And all of a sudden, Gantz is not a must in this government. And then he's left with Kaholavan, but a diminished Kaholavan with 15 seats. And he's lost politically. So I think Gantz really uh, is going to have to get a deal done sooner rather than later. And that will probably mean a lot of compromises. Now, the issues that have come up so far in negotiations are issues of a separation between religion and state which my understanding is from reports that Kaholavan will have freedom to vote as they please on those issues. And the other issue, which pertains closely to the work of Israel Policy Forum, is on West Bank annexation, and in particular annexation under the context of the Trump plan, which Netanyahu has voiced support for, and it seems that Gantz is against. So from my understanding... They've agreed, as with religion and state, he'd have the freedom to vote as he pleases on issues of annexation. Um, I'm not sure if an agreement has been reached there, but that's what the reports are indicating. Right. There was pressure on the annexation front from two directions. You had both from Netanyahu, but also from Naftali Bennett, the head of the Amina party, who was saying that support for annexation would have to be a condition for him joining the government. Yeah, exactly. And now with the numbers, it's not even necessary that he is in the government. And it's a question about Netanyahu. Does Netanyahu really want this annexation? I don't know 100%. I would say he probably does. But that's a calculation that he's making as well. So the next 13 days are crucial. I would expect that an agreement gets done sooner, but we'll have to see. A lot of interesting developments 
for sure. And I mean, for Netanyahu, the fact that he was able to break up Kaholavad without even signing an agreement with anybody before his court cases begin, um, which we haven't even mentioned uh, in the middle of coronavirus, it, it's a major accomplishment for him politically. I mean, that's he broke up the biggest opposition without even doing anything, pretty much. So he has to be happy with that. And I think Gantz is really pushed into a corner now. I mean, he has a few things to his advantage, Gantz. He has that threat of a minority government still, but it's not really tangible um, anymore because of Hendel and Hauser. And he also could probably pass that law that's been talked about to prevent a prime minister um, from serving uh, under indictment. Uh, that's something that would not be applied retroactively, something that would start only in the next Knesset, but would apply should there be fourth elections. Those are a few tools that he has left, but he's definitely in the corner. Right. And even though he still has the mandate to form the government and he could still leverage that threat of a minority government, although, as you said, it's far less potent now that Hauser and Hendel have shown their hands, there's a question of whether the factions that would have previously comprised as minority government would fall in line behind him. Because I think that a lot of people feel burned by what Gantz did, uh, chief among them the joint list, which would be critical to supporting a minority government, and was also at the heart of the controversy surrounding a minority government. This is, again, the alliance of four uh, Israeli-Arab parties that make up the joint list, and given Netanyahu's persistent uh, incitement against Israeli-Arab politicians, against their voters... Uh, to have Gantz go over to his side, however tentatively, and then come back, they may have reason to say, we're not just going to give our support. They gave their support in September. They gave their support this time around in March. And they may not so readily give it again. At the same time, the coronavirus context is really critical here. And this pandemic was always going to be a serious test of Gantz's commitment to this idea of mamlachtiut, that, that he was uh, going to act in a statesmanlike, or it's not a direct translation, but like a, a country-first manner. I mean, he, he had his whole mantra when he was heading up the independent Chosen Li Israel party before the Kachol Lavan merger early last year, this whole uh, Yisrael Lifne Hakol, Israel before all uh, mantra, this country-first idea. And faced with a national crisis, an international crisis, Gantz might reasonably say, okay, we need to put politics aside and mount a national response to this. But just given everything that Netanyahu has put on the table throughout his entire career, but especially in the past three elections, it kind of muddies or, or even stains Gantz's own political career because now he's associated with that. So uh, Netanyahu's attacks on democratic institutions, which was a key part of Gantz's platform. Now he's associated with that. His The way he's spoken about Israeli Arabs, now he's associated with that. And annexation, and, and, and he, he gets looped in now with a lot of the baggage that Netanyahu comes with. Even earlier on, when Netanyahu first put out this idea of a national emergency government, uh, Gantz said, okay, I can be interested in this idea. I can understand where we're coming from, given the coronavirus pandemic. But if we're going to say a national emergency government needs to include everyone in the, in the nation, 
including Israeli Arab citizens, including the joint list, and Netanyahu said no. So this can be read as backing down on that front. Yeah, it definitely can be. But I mean, at the same time, Gantz, if the agreement goes forward, he'll have quite a bit of power. I mean, we talked about only having 15 seats, but controlling major ministries such as the Justice Ministry, especially at a time where in the next few years, uh, most of the Israeli Supreme Court judges will be replaced. And also with the Netanyahu trial going forward, he'll have a lot of influence in protecting or at least safeguarding Israeli democracy to a certain extent. And that, I think, was one of his calculations when he went for this move. Right. It's, it's just the idea that he might not have a future himself politically after this is all over, at least as... An... That's definitely true. But I think that's also, I mean, a lot of people are saying he's the next Shaul Mofaz, another former chief of staff that took uh, Kadima from the largest party in the Knesset in the 2006 elections to pretty much erase it from the political map. I wouldn't go that far. That, that could be the outcome. But I think at, at the moment, let's just wait and see what happens and how this unfolds. Like Gantz could end up uh, or be remembered as a Shaul Mofaz type figure, or he could surprise us as he has done in the past. So I think uh, we shouldn't be too hasty. I'm not saying that Gantz is like Shaul Mofaz. I know, but a lot of people are. A lot of people are. I know, but I'm. I, but what I'm saying is that, first of all, I don't think he's like Shaul Mofaz. I think that the comparisons to Shaul Mofaz are, are mostly superficial. Like you said, both army chiefs of staff, both, both heading a centrist party that was taken down a notch. What I'm saying is that because he gave up on his key, the central part of his platform, whether or not you think it's for the right reasons, he himself, maybe not Kakho Lavan as a political vehicle, but he himself may not have the credibility with voters to, when the time comes, be the one to replace Netanyahu. Or maybe maybe people will look at this in retrospect and say, well, coronavirus was a moment in time that necessitated this kind of action, and we can understand it in retrospect. It's hard to say now without really knowing when this coronavirus pandemic is going to end. But, you know, there, there's there's a lot to, to be said here. I mean, he, he gave up his, his whole platform. People said there weren't a lot of substantive differences between Likud and Kahol Lavan. Kahol Lavan, most of their purpose, it was a movement to unseat Netanyahu. And also with, with some of the other parties, I mean, with Labour, Amir Peretz shaved his mustache for no reason. He shaved his mustache just so he could have that commercial where he said, read my lips. I won't sit with Netanyahu. Well, he, he doesn't have the mustache and he is sitting with Netanyahu. I'm sure while he's under lockdown during uh, coronavirus, he's you think he's growing, growing back? back that mustache. The otherwise, how can Maybe. he? This, this is also just another, another, uh, another nail in the coffin of the Israeli Labour Party. Three seats, yeah, that they, that they currently have. And also, I mean, another thing to, to think about is that there's a good chance that if the rotation agreement goes forward, and it's interesting because there's no real way to legally bind it. So Gantz is looking at how he can make this rotation agreement legally uh, binded in the Knesset, and there are a whole bunch of loopholes. We could probably do another podcast on that. I'm not sure anyone would want to listen to it because it's so in the weeds, but uh, it's going to be very interesting to see that Gantz may be prime minister and Netanyahu may serve may serve as a deputy prime minister. And this, all this while Netanyahu may be convicted already with uh, bribery 
uh, fraud and breach of trust. So really something that we didn't see coming, but I don't think anyone should be too surprised. It'll be really interesting to see how things play out in the next couple of days and also uh, in the next couple of years to see how uh, Benny Gantz, uh, his decision turns out and whether this is the beginning of the end already of his political career. Right, and it'll also be interesting to see how the Israeli opposition regroups after this. I mean, the one, if you can, if you are someone who is more sympathetic to the opposition, if you want to find one silver lining in this, I think it's that there's no pressure really on anyone else in the opposition now to join the government. Because if the case were being made that you need to join the government because this is a moment of national crisis, we need to confront the pandemic, we need to do X, Y, and Z, well, then Netanyahu would need that 61 plus to have his majority. Now he has his majority, so there's no reason for Lieberman to join the coalition or for the rest of Kahol Levan, Yeshatid and Telem, to join the coalition or, or for any of these other parties. So that takes the pressure off and maybe gives them a moment to regroup. But I think that for people, there, I think that there are a lot of Israeli voters who probably support this move by Gantz, who, who think that it's the right thing to do now. And then there are probably a lot who feel like he gave up on his raison d'etre in Israeli politics. And for the people who were most committed to unseating Netanyahu, now is a chance to regroup because there's no need, there's no imperative to join him at the moment, now that he has his majority. Um, That's right. And before we close out, just a quick word on on some other politicians in Israel. You mentioned Lieberman. Uh, Lieberman obviously very upset with uh, these developments. He was pushing for a unity government constantly, and this was not the unity government he imagined, which includes both ultra-Orthodox parties, does not include his own Israel Beitenu, and where it looks like the ultra-Orthodox will hold some major ministries and continue to hold the health ministry, which has been pretty controversial um, of late. And I'll add just a word about Yair Lapid, who could be, I mean, I don't think he's, he's a, a winner in this scenario, but... I think this has probably been a good positive development for his credibility among Israel's center-left. And I think he emerges as probably a potential uh, future candidate uh, for prime minister in the post-Netanyahu era, which will I, I imagine that we'll eventually get to. Just remember that he gave up that rotation agreement he had with Gantz, which was seen as a positive step. And he's also really kept to his word uh, here by not joining in this government. Benny Gantz pushed for uh, Lapid and all of Blue and White to to make this this move. And I think Lapid has definitely gained some points in the uh, Israeli center-left block. So that's something that I think it's important to note. Um, Evan, any final thoughts? Just a note on that, though. Lapid and Yalon were also always going to be the least likely to join a government with Netanyahu, both for ideological opposition, perhaps on Lapid's part, but for both of them, because they had both served in government with Netanyahu, both been burned by him. And so from their perspective, it's like, we know Netanyahu best. We know what he's like. We know how he plays. We don't trust him. So now it's time for Gantz and Gabi Ashkenazi to learn their lesson. It's probably the perspective from 
Lapid and Yalom. Yeah, it's true. But we also said that about Hauser and Hendel, who both worked directly under Netanyahu and were burned by Netanyahu as well. And they look like they're jumping on the train to join the Netanyahu government as soon as possible. So you're right, though. Definitely their previous experiences. More so, I think, Bogi Yalon, because ideologically, Bogi Yalon, I, I think he has a place in this uh, government in terms of where he stands on a lot of issues. But he definitely has that personal animosity. He was essentially, he was just fired by Netanyahu. Whereas Lapid, um, you know, Lapid, who served as finance minister after 2013 elections, a bit of a different uh, breakup, but obviously he is not a fan of Netanyahu and, and knows that Netanyahu, rightly so, knows that Netanyahu has definitely deceived people in the past and not uh, delivered on his. Definitely. So a lot to look out for in the coming weeks. That's going to do it for this week's episode of, or sorry, definitely. So a lot to look out for in the coming weeks. That's going to do it for this episode of Israel Policy Pod. As a reminder, as part of our Israel Policy Hub initiative, we are doing two episodes of Israel Policy Pod a week. So be on the lookout for a second episode this week. Thank you all for tuning in. Be sure to rate and review this program wherever you listen to podcasts. And check out our Israel Policy Hub initiative at ipf.li forward slash hub. As part of that program, we are also doing public video briefings every Tuesday. Today, we're doing one with Tamara Kaufman-Wittes, Senior Fellow at the Brookings Institution, actually a couple minutes after this recording is going to be over. And next week, we're going to be having Amos Harel, the Senior Military Correspondent at Haaretz. And after that, Shaul Ariely, a recent guest on the podcast and also a policy advisor and friend of Israel Policy Forum will be joining us that following Tuesday. So a lot to look out for and to join in on. So be sure to look at Israel Policy Hub and take advantage of some of those opportunities that we have coming up. Be well, stay healthy, and we'll catch you next time. Yalla bye.